0: There are 32 days left until the summer solstice, which will mark the longest time this year that the rays of our star will soak our area of the planet with light and other forms of radiation. However, this is the first day of the year when temperature gauges on the Fahrenheit scale will come very close to triple digits. What will Charlottesville Community Engagement say about this matter in this May 20th, 2022 edition of the program? Very little. But the host, Sean Tubbs, is sincere in wishing everyone well in the heat to come. On today's program, a historical marker is unveiled at the Central Library in downtown Charlottesville to honor the legal battle to admit a black man to the University of Virginia Law School. Charlottesville City Council is briefed on efforts to get a handle on what property the city leases out and whether all of the tenants are paying their fair share. 5th District Republicans will meet tomorrow to select a nominee for the U.S. House of Representatives. And work on a regional transit vision will culminate next week in a long presentation to regional officials about what could happen if the area found a new mechanism for more funding for expanded transit. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, This year, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society has been working with a group called the Fields of Honor to identify soldiers who were killed in action in the Second World War. Since February, Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society researchers have helped locate several photographs of the fallen, including that of Private Clarence Edward McCauley, who was tracked down through high school records. There are 18 remaining photographs to be found, and on Thursday, May 26th at 7 p.m., the ACHS will host Debbie Holloman and Sebastian Vonk of the Fields of Honor Foundation to talk about how you can take part in their volunteer efforts honoring the service and sacrifice of United States World War II service members buried or memorialized at U.S. war cemeteries in Europe. That's Thursday, May 26 at 7 p.m. via Zoom or Facebook Live. A crowd assembled yesterday afternoon at the intersection of East Market Street and 3rd Street Northwest in downtown Charlottesville to watch the unveiling of a historic marker to commemorate an important moment in the desegregation of education in Virginia. In 1950, Gregory Swanson applied to attend the University of Virginia School of Law, but he was denied a space because he was black. He sued in federal court, citing 14th Amendment rights to equal protection, and a three-panel judge heard arguments on September 5th of that year. David Plunkett is the director of the Jefferson-Madison Regional Library, and he noted the historic nature of the building that is the library system's headquarters. This building, formerly a federal building, and home to the courtroom where Gregory Swanson won his legal petition for entry to the University of Virginia Law School. Plunkett said Swanson's case was part of the NAACP's legal strategy to challenge the system of desegregation. While the law school had admitted uh, Mr. Swanson on his merit, with the support of staff, including Mortimer Kaplan... Uh, The University Board of Visitors subsequently denied his admittance based on his skin color. The case tried here, overturned that ruling, and helped lead to the desegregation of higher education in the South. Riza Goluboff is the current dean of the UVA Law School, and she said the marker celebrates Swanson's bravery and persistence. He did all this for a belief, for a legal and constitutional principle, for his own growth as a lawyer and as a person, for his race, and for the nation as a whole. Swanson was represented by the law firm of Hill, Martin & Robinson, with future Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall serving as his legal counsel. Goluboff said the denial back in 1950 must be remembered, as well as the university's condoning of slavery and the continuance of Jim Crow-era laws. She said Swanson's case should be celebrated. And when he succeeded, he became the first black student not only at the University of Virginia Law School, not only at the University of Virginia writ large, but at any state in the former Confederacy. Telling this story both forces and enables us to remember those aspects of our history of exclusion and segregation that we must know in order to repudiate them. Also on hand at the ceremony was M. Rick Turner, a former president of the Albemarle Charlottesville NAACP. He said black students at UVA have always challenged the status quo of an institution that he said was founded to perpetuate racial and class inequalities. It's worth remembering that the influx of black students at UVA years ago was not a benevolent gesture on the part of the UVA administrators and state officials, but rather the presence of Gory Responsive paved the way. To hear more from this event, visit the Charlottesville Podcasting Network, where the full audio of the event is posted and is available. That's another service of Town Crier Productions. Republicans across Virginia's new 5th Congressional District will gather tomorrow at Hampton-Sydney College in Prince Edward County to select a candidate for the November 8th election. Over 2,000 attendees are pre-filed for the event, according to the draft program. Incumbent Bob Good of Campbell County faces challenger Dan Moy in the race and the program states that each will give a speech before the votes are taken. There will also be remarks from outgoing chair William Pace and incoming chair Rick Buchanan. The program contains multiple endorsements for good from Republican leaders across the United States, as well as several delegates and senators of the Virginia General Assembly. Moy's sole endorsement that's listed in the program is from the group Chasing Freedom, Virginia. There are a total of 24 Republican committees in the 5th District. The convention will be called to order at 10 a.m. and will use a weighted voting system. The winner will face Democrat Joshua Thronberg in the November election. Consultants hired by the Thomas Jefferson Planning District Commission to craft a vision for how public transportation might work better in the Charlottesville area will present more details next Thursday. The firm Jarrett Walker & Associates has been hired to conduct the study, which may recommend the transition to a unified regional transit authority. Lucinda Shannon is a transportation for the TJPDC there'll be a 90 minute presentation from the consultants to go over what we've done so far. So the results of the first round of public engagement, and then also kind of what they found for the vision for the community Shannon told a technical committee of the Metropolitan Planning Organization on Tuesday that a three-day workshop was recently held with the transit providers in the area to imagine new bus routes under a new scenario where there is $30 million in annual funding from a new transportation authority. The consultants modeled that scenario after a new authority in the Richmond area that was created in 2020. We looked at the... uh... Central Virginia Transit Authority's model of how they um, collect revenue to kind of calculate how much we could collect if we formed an authority to pay for the vision. Shannon said that for now, the JWA's work is more about what the vision will be. A second round of public engagement will take place soon after next week's regional transit partnership meeting. Shannon said the firm AECOM will be hired to conduct a governance study to recommend how to actually come up with that hypothetical $30 million. That work is contingent on approval by the Commonwealth Transportation Board at their meeting in June. Shannon said this study will be more about the funding than changing the structure of area transit. So it's not going to be looking at changing how CAD or any of the service providers are governed or run or anything like that. It's just bringing in money and putting it out for transit. Funding for these studies comes from Albemarle County, Charlottesville, and the Department of Rail and Public Transportation. If you're interested in this topic, there are several links in the newsletter. You can also go to infoseville.com and search for transit. There's plenty of stories that I've written in the past two years. Go take a look. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards continue to offer classes this spring and summer to increase your awareness of our wooden neighbors and to prepare for the future. Coming up on June 7th is a tree identification course taught on Zoom by Tree Steward Elizabeth Ferguson, followed by a separate hike on June 11th at the Department of Forestry's headquarters near the Fontaine Research Park. That's followed by a tree identification walk at the University of Virginia on June 12th for the public. On June 14th, Rachel Keane will give a lecture on Zoom on the social life of trees. Do trees really communicate with one another? What is a mother tree? What do trees do to repel pests? You can learn more at Charlottesville charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. One more segment today and going back to the beginning of the week on Monday. The City of Charlottesville could be pulling in more revenue from tenants who may be leasing city property at rates well below the market rate. That's one of the takeaways from a report given to Council at their meeting on May 16th. As the City of Charlottesville continues to rebuild after a recent era of frequent leadership transitions, the current management is looking at aspects of the city administration that have gone unnoticed or unchecked. Until now, there has not been one central source in city government that controls all of the various leases the city has for its properties, as well as service agreements. That makes it hard to track who is responsible or where the public can get more information. Sam Sanders is the deputy city manager for operations. So what we're trying to do at this moment is to compile that, but one of the first things that we had to do was to identify an individual who would have that as their job. That person will be Brenda Kelly, who has been the redevelopment manager for the city for the past several years. Her position has been elevated now to the new Office of Community Solutions, and she'll be presenting a full report to council this summer on this topic. In the meantime, she prepared a briefing for council for their May 16th meeting, which began with a basic definition of what she will cover. Leases are agreement-type leases where either the city is a party. This is either the city owns the property or the city is a tenant of a property owned by someone else. The city has about 155,000 square feet of building spaces that bring in about $580,000 a year in revenue for the city. That doesn't include about 50 acres underground lease. The oldest lease dates back to 1922 and allows the city's utilities office to use space at a pump station at the University of Virginia. One of the biggest amounts of space that the city leases from a third party is at the Water Street parking garage. The city doesn't own the Water Street parking garage, but we lease um, parking spaces. The city does own the Market Street parking garage as well as the buildings on East Market Street that are currently occupied by the Lucky 7 and a Guadalajara restaurant. The City Council of January 2017 paid $2.85 million for a eventual parking garage at that location, but the City Council of March 2021 opted to go in a different direction. The Lucky 7 and the Guadalajara and all the Market Street parking garage retail spaces those rent funds go into the Parking Enterprise Fund. For now, the city gets rent from those businesses. Revenues from the Charlottesville Pavilion and the building where s Global operates go into the Charlottesville Economic Development Authority Fund. Kelly said further research needs to be done into intergovernmental leases with the courts, libraries, and other entities. She said that systems need to be in place to track the leases and make sure that any rent increases due to the city are at least known about for council's consideration. City Councilor Cena McGill said she appreciated being able to see a more complete picture of the city's property portfolio and the potential to get more out of its investment. When we look at a lot of these rents on a lot of these buildings, they're about half of market rate. McGill said if the city is charging below market, it should be as a way of helping small businesses who were just getting started. She wanted to see a presentation from the Charlottesville Economic Development Authority on the leases they control. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook said he wanted any lessees to know that the preliminary report is not intended to raise rates, but just to provide information. Until this report and this information is gathered, we on council had no idea who we were subsidizing, and we have no idea why we're subsidizing them in some cases, and we may want to make some conscious decisions to continue to subsidize in the form of the rent, Uh, or we may not, but at least we will be doing so on the basis of actual knowledge. More to come on this topic as the summer heats up. And that is this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for May 20th, 2022. We covered a lot of ground. And of course, there is a link to a longer portion of that Gregory Swanson marker ceremony uh, on the Charlottesville Podcasting Network at seavillepodcast.com. I created that site in 2005 and I recently reacquired it, got it back and uh, trying to figure out how that will work. If you have an event or something coming up that you'd like recorded, and especially if you can record it and get me the audio, let's talk. There's lots of different ideas to do some neat things on SevillePodcast.com in the future. The near future, of course, is me wondering if there will be another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement tomorrow, or if I'll wait till Monday. I do have to get the week ahead, and if you did not see it, I'm also in the middle of trying out to see if I can do a larger uh, newsletter called Fifth District Community Engagement, and the second installment of something I'm tentatively calling Government Glance, will also come out on Sunday. So that means there may not be another edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement until Monday, but there is plenty of content out there and plenty to get to. And I really am appreciative of everybody who has contributed funds through either Substack, which Ting will match the initial payment for, I think we've covered that, through Patreon, or, uh, you know, basically just sending me good, vibes and wishes of course checks are also welcome this is sean tubbs this is the charlottesville community engagement this is going to be a very hot day and i would like to hope that you stay safe and stay cool out there goodbye